Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Okay, so I have been away for a little bit really just a week but it feels like such a long time when I'm not here talking to you guys or talking at you guys but it feels like a conversation still talking with you guys but as you guys know since I've been mentioning it in the past in the past couple of weeks I I moved I used to live in New York City and now I am back home in Atlanta and I did that move all by myself was it stressful did I hate it yes and yes it was a very long uh tedious endeavor and will I ever move by myself again I I simply will not be doing that I will be getting movers I don't care where it is I could be moving to Mars and I will still get movers highly recommend literally any movers getting someone whose job it is to move things to and fro is anything short of a blessing so highly recommended but it was a it was a long move getting rid of all of my belongings that I thought I would have for a much longer stint in New York was hard. I hope the people in my old building really enjoyed all of my old wares that I left behind. And I, yeah, it was, it was a very long move, but it's over now. I'm here in Georgia. I'm waiting for some of my stuff to arrive and I'm trying to not be stressed about the OSPS potentially losing one of my boxes. But that's just you know a little personal thing going on with me no big deal but of course because i missed a week it feels like there has been a lot of things going on good and bad and everything in between so of course as you know before we hop into the meat and potatoes of today's episode we're going to start with some opening minutes i'd first like to begin the opening minutes by sending all of my deepest condolences to uvalde texas and everyone affected by the the tragedy of of last wednesday it is being a week removed from any event like this it feels like we in the pop culture news media coverage space are quick to move on because there are so many other things vying for our attention but i hope that this case and this this tragedy will remain top of mind for a lot of people because it is something that shouldn't happen again and this is unfortunately something that we've been saying for probably 25 years now of like these things shouldn't happen why are these things continuing to happen why are we still having these you know 
circumstances where individuals can do things like this and why don't we ever learn our lesson afterwards it's just it's a tragedy all around i definitely would say you know when taking in details of of the situation i want to stress because i'm this is me in my journalism degree talking but i want to stress that we are in a very vulnerable time right now not only emotionally but for misinformation as well i've studied a lot of these tragedies as they happen in like the media and pop culture coverage around it and one of the big things that tends to happen is in an effort to get the story out there super fast a lot of news sites and everything even really reputable ones kind of you know put something out there and people take it in and they're just like oh my gosh that's terrible and then they if there is a correction that's published people don't tend to ever see it so they're going off of the first thing that they see and it might be misinformation and then they spread it to other people saying like oh I heard on such and such that this happened and it didn't happen you know so I would say in the in the coming weeks as more details about how this tragedy came to be there's going to be a lot of places giving out information so i would say to triangulate your your research that is one thing that we learned quite a bit in in journalism school i went to the, the grady school of journalism and mass communication at the university of georgia go dogs and that's one thing that i i among a lot of things that i learned is to triangulate your your research um so if you can you see something that has to do with this a try and and confirm it from two to three other sources it's just a, a better way of taking in information it's how we kind of stop the spread of misinformation and it just keeps you well informed so that's my little journalism tip for the day and also that is applicable to literally anything else too get multiple resources because taking it from one source not all, not always the best, I don't think. But yeah, I when when everything happened last week, obviously I, I wasn't going to do a podcast episode, but I it got me thinking just kind of about our our relationship with cases like this, and subsequently our relationship with true crime. Because when tragedies like this happen, with enough time removed, they become a part of the like true crime genre of content, I guess. And I, it got me thinking about how we kind of have a very fractured relationship with true crime and our, our interaction with things that are like notably very tragic tends to get like muddied by, I don't know, entertainment to a certain degree. And so I definitely want to talk about that. And so this week I want to say I, I wanted to do two episodes to make up for the two that I missed in May. So obviously today's episode will be kind of my usual, a little bit lighter content. And then sometime this weekend, probably Sunday, I will be open, I will be posting a bonus episode that will be going into a, a little bit of a deeper dive into the, uh, the media and pop culture of, of true crime and how we interact with it and how we can be better about how we interact with things like this and how misinformation tends to be spread pretty heavily especially with cases like this i mean we've been dealing with things like this for you know like i said upwards of 25 years most famously i think columbine is like one of the biggest misinformation cases that we have when it comes to you know what we know about it what the motives were like who did it those things there's a lot of misinformation that gets passed around so i definitely want to do an episode 
detailing that. But I want to tell you up front right now, just in case that's something that, you know, it may not be your cup of tea. You may not be in the best like, headspace for it. I totally get it. Just want to make sure that I'm giving enough of a heads up so that if you're interested in a bonus episode, that is what it's going to be about. So if that's not your thing, totally cool. I will see you next Wednesday for another, like, you know, lighter jaunt through pop culture. Anyways, moving on from that, obviously today is June 1st. Happy Pride Month, everybody. It's it's Pride Month now. I I wish I had more to say. <laughs> I wish I had more to say about it. I feel like I'm a bad bisexual. But um happy Pride Month to, to all those who observe, to all those who celebrate. Be who you are for your pride and all that jazz. Getting into something a little bit uh I would say infuriating, one could say. Um, hopping from Happy Pride to uh, Star Wars fans, I need you to do better. I need you to do better. If you don't know, um, the new Disney Plus show uh, called, I think it's, I think it's just called Obi Wan Kenobi. Just it premiered last Friday, I think, and it is like a it's a TV show around the characters, mainly of like the Star Wars prequels. So Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, Anakin Skywalker slash. Darth Vader, all that jazz. I'm still like, I would say relatively new to the Star Wars fandom, one could say. So I'm still getting used to a lot of these characters and I'm going to be honest with you, I've learned a lot about them via Lego Star Wars. So, you know, I'm doing my best here, but that is essentially what the show is about. And the show stars a character named Reva, who is a, uh, a black woman. She's played by Moses Ingram. And of course, Star Wars fans can't be good if you paid them to do that. So obviously, Moses Ingram has unfortunately joined a terrible club of Star Wars actors of color who have been berated with racist remarks from Star Wars fans. And luckily, you know, one could say a little bit too late, but you know, better late than never. Star Wars officially came out and denounced the the racism happening from fans, basically saying, hey, knock it off. Now, in my personal opinion, should they have done this a while ago? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, personally. But, you know, like I said, better late than never. I'm glad that they used the word racism and said, hey, stop that. That's bad. So, obviously, there's been a lot of backlash that's come from that the Star Wars fanboys whose only friends are the skid marks in their underwear have had not had a good response to Star Wars saying hey you guys cannot be racist to our actors you've you've hurt the careers of enough people I think we're done with that and a lot of people have kind of come out the woodworks on in varying degrees saying you know oh well how how could Star Wars fans be racist when they're there are Star Wars characters who are black, which I don't know if that negates from there being racism from simply the appearance of black characters. And then you have people just flat out still continuing to be racist. So all I have to say to this is Star Wars fans, I, I, I really hold up that you guys need to be better. Okay. You have like 20,000 movies, 10 million TV shows, books, comics. What more do you want? What more do you want? You're able to believe this galaxy full of the weirdest creatures I've ever seen in your life. And you take that in, no questions asked. But the minute that you see 
a black woman who was an antagonist character, that's where you draw the line. That's where it's like, oh, the suspension of disbelief is just not working here. I'm confused. I'm very confused. And I've stopped trying to figure out Star Wars characters or characters and the fandom. It scares me to a certain degree and I just simply don't want to do it. So I I take in the Star Wars media that I can and anything else not for me but you know moral of the story star wars fans do better and also star wars fans who are not racist but not calling out the races silence is complicity i know that's hard to hear that's a hard pill to swallow babes but it is it is if you see it happening and you're just kind of like oh you know star wars fans will be star wars fans you're bad too you're bad too babes so gotta do better gotta do better you can't say you're a part of the fandom and you're not addressing this very toxic and visceral and weird, bad, awful part of the fandom as well. That's what accountability means. Okay, glad we had this talk. Anyways, moving on to our last thing before we hop into this week's episode, I got to see the Bob's Burgers movie for the very last time at the Alamo. If you guys know, I've talked about the Alamo so much, but it was my favorite place while I was living in New York. And I am just, it just, I miss it already. I miss the fried chicken sandwich. I miss the pickle fries. And, you know, more than anything else, I just miss the atmosphere. I really do. I I miss it. So Alamo in um, near Wall Street in the financial district, just know that I love you. I really do. And I miss you every day. But I got to see the Bob's Burgers movie there. I was supposed to see it on Thursday, but I was still doing moving stuff. And so I decided to reward myself on Sunday, the day before I moved with like a Bobby day. And so part of that was going to see the Bob's Burgers movie. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show. I remember watching it kind of around the time that it, it came out in like 2011. And the movie was everything that I loved about the show. And then some, it's similar to how, what I felt about the Simpsons movie. And I think that's why it, it worked. It was basically kind of a long episode of the TV show, but not in a way that felt like you were missing something. It was taking the elements of the TV show that you loved and then blowing it up on a big screen. So obviously like the, the action is a little bit more intense. The risks are a little bit higher, you know, like a lot of those elements that you need for a film are there, but it still has the heart and the 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 humor of the TV show and also some really great songs in it as well. So if you are a fan of Pops Burgers or if you just kind of love like a good feel good like family comedy movie, I would highly recommend going to see it. I had a blast. It was an amazing time. I I I laughed quite a bit. Like there were just some lines like Bob's Burgers is that show that kind of sneaks in um really good like like little one-liners in there and it's not until you like kind of go back and you think about like oh what did that character say and you hear it and you're just like oh yeah that's funny um that it's it's just a hilarious show and I highly recommend you watching the show I highly recommend you going to see the movie and in thinking about that that kind of brings me to what we're talking about today which is a brief-ish history on adult animation adult animation has been around for a while now so we're going to be diving in to a very brief history on this very interesting genre of animation 
Adult animation has been around for what feels like forever. And it, it technically has been around for whatever. Before we kind of get into everything else, I kind of want to make sure that this distinction is clear. I will be talking about adult animation in the sense of like television shows that tend to deal with more adult situations. They may use like cruder language. They may be a little bit more gratuitous in violence, but I'm in, I'm not talking about adult animation that is pornographic. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about like basically animated porn. That's not what this podcast episode is about. That has its own very, you know, rich history. It's just a lot of Ralph Bakshi, let's be real. Um, that's not quite what today's podcast episode is about. So if that is what you were thinking, that's not quite the direction that we're going in. So I don't know who can do that for you, but it's not quite for me. So now that we've laid that groundwork. So the the origins of adult animation can kind of be dated with the origins of animation, maybe like a little bit after it. So one of the earliest characters that was kind of like animated for adults, not like explicitly animated for adults, but adults got a lot of enjoyment out of the character was Miss Boop Boop Be Doop herself, Betty Boop in the early 20s and 30s. Betty Boop is very like tame by today's adult animation standard. She's kind of just like sang and went on adventures with the dog. And they definitely in the early, for per my research, in the early days of Betty Boop, they kind of wanted to not stress, but suggest that she was in a relationship with the dog. And then eventually in later years, she just like the dog just became her dog. Read into that if you want. I simply do not have the emotional capacity to go into that right now. But she was very tame by today's like adult animation standards. But when you look at the character, she was definitely a little bit more, she was a little racy for, for the 20s. Her style kind of mirrors a more stylized version of flapper girls. And if you don't know like what the flappers are, this is according to history.com. They were, quote, young women known for their energetic freedom, embracing a lifestyle viewed by many at the time as outrageous, immoral, or downright dangerous. Now considered the first generation of independent American women, flappers push barriers in economic, political, and sexual freedom for women. Also, famously, Betty Boop, I think, was thought to be patterned after, like, this vaudeville actress who was white. But it turns out that she lifted her whole act from a black performer. So, fun. Again, it's all a rich tapestry. Anyways... Moving on, a lot of the extent of adult animation around this time were really just like adult jokes that happened to be peppered into cartoons for kids. So there you could definitely go back and look at the history of like Disney shorts or Looney Tunes shorts and find quite adult jokes peppered out like throughout them. And that's kind of what adult animation was around this time. And it was mainly due to Hayes Code. I have an episode talking about kind of old Hollywood and a lot of the things surrounding that. And Hayes Code is kind of a, uh, a byproduct of the old Hollywood, golden age of Hollywood time. But in case you, you missed that episode, which I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It was really good. 
They're all good, but I'm also biased. The Hayes Code is more formally known as the Motion Picture Production Code, which referred to a self-imposed set of rules that Hollywood films had to abide by in an effort to uphold a moral high ground or what studios thought of as correct thinking. It's basically Hollywood self-censoring, pretty much. Hayes Code was kind of relaxed in the 60s. And coincidentally, this coincided with the popularity of one of the biggest animated shows of all time, The Flintstones. I know we made a massive jump from Betty Boop to The Flintstones, but I want to just kind of stress that a lot of the like adult animation was just adult jokes peppered into kids cartoons for a very long time. There wasn't anything truly catered to adults for like in an animated sense for a while. We wouldn't get that until kind of the late 20th century. So like I said, the the Flintstones was one of the shows that really had a hand in inventing what we now know as primetime television. So much so that it was the first animated series to premiere in primetime. So you may be thinking like, okay, the Flintstones? Like with like the prehistoric, like Flintstones and stuff, that's very like kiddie-ish. Like I, I watched that as a kid or I've seen it before. And yes, I think in this sense, it wasn't explicit adult animation, like a show that was catered solely to adults, but it was more for like families, like families were able to watch it all together. But there were definitely instances within the show that were a little bit more adult, not necessarily in nature, but just kind of in view. And even, I can't remember what the brand was specifically, but in the early days of the Flintstones, before they kind of pivoted it to just being for kids, when it was mainly like family entertainment, they had Barney and Fred doing like advertisements for, for cigarettes. Like there are, there exists like commercials where the characters are like smoking cigarettes. So like they weren't afraid to put them in like what could be considered like adult situations. Um, but they were just more of like families and everything. It was a lot of like the variety shows of the of that time, like the Honeymooners, you know, Leave It to Beaver, like all those shows. Like I Love Lucy. They were shows that could deal with adult situations, but they were mainly catered to to families as a whole to watch together because television watching was an activity around this time. Like with the advent of television, it was an activity for a whole family to watch like a show or two. You know, it wasn't a, a personalized activity as it is now. So that's why I think the Flintstones works as successful as they were for the time because they were kind of a first iteration of this family dynamic that you saw in other shows, but just animated. And that kind of made them stand out a little bit. Also, Hanna-Barbera really had a stronghold on television as a whole for a very long time. So it just, it makes sense. They kind of knocked it out of the park with, with this. So the Flintstones definitely laid the foundations uh, for the show that I think would eventually put adult animation as we know it on the map. And it's one of my favorite shows of all time, and that is The Simpsons. On April 19th, 1987, we were first introduced to the Simpsons family in small shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. And by December of 1989, the family had made its way to Fox and the rest was indeed history. I think it's always so funny in in reading about the Simpsons. I think I'm I'm going to try my best to remember the story correctly, but I think when Matt Groening, who's the creator of the Simpsons, was going in to talk to his eventual producers of the series, 
he had these these other characters who were like bunnies. I mean, like he, he created this short like comic strip called uh, Life in Hell, I think. And all the characters were these bunnies. And he was going to go and pitch that idea. But then he was like, oh, no, I really like these characters. I don't want them to get ruined. Like, I want to make sure I, I, you know, remain like keep ownership of them. So minutes before his pitch interview in the literal lobby of James L. Brooks, who became a producer on the series, he like Matt Groening quickly like sketches out this family. So he has like, you know, Marge and Homer and Bart and Lisa and Maggie and he sketches them out and then he takes names from his like siblings and stuff. And then that's what he pitches. He pitches his family called the Simpsons and he chooses the name Simpsons because it sounds like simpleton, which is what they are to be fair, mainly Homer. Um, And he also used, he basically like pattern the entire family after his own family and his proxy is Bart but instead of using his name Matt he chose Bart because Bart is an anagram for the word brat so in a very split second decision he created the Simpsons and James O. Brooks loved it and so they immediately got the the shorts onto the Tracy Ullman show and then from there the show really just took off I think if you were anyone who was growing up or was an avid television viewer in the early early 90s, like late 80s, early 90s, you probably can attest to how big The Simpsons were as a show. It was it was primetime TV, like what The Flintstones was in the 60s. That's what The Simpsons became in the 90s for a very long time. And I definitely can attest to it being, you know, like having a, a solid spot in the like greatest show of all time conversation because it really is such a phenomenal show and there are just some episodes that I still watch to this day and I can't wrap my head around how they are just so so good between the humor and the heart and everything that goes into the show and also just the amount of of jokes that they're able to fit in both verbally and visually is nothing short of phenomenal um not only that, but like once the Simpsons took over TV, they were just everywhere. It felt like like Simpsons merchandising is its own little cottage industry. And I I love a good I love merch. That's one thing about me. I do love merch and Simpsons merch has a special place in my heart. And when I tell you they put those characters on literally anything, literally anything you could find Bart or Homer, or the rest of the family as a whole on it. It was amazing. But anyways, that's enough Enough of me ranting or, you know, ogling over The Simpsons. It's one of my favorite shows, and I'd love to talk about it more. But The Simpsons kind of brought in this new era of adult animation in a lot of iterations as well. And it was mainly like the 90s as a whole, but The Simpsons kind of like opened the door, and then all of these shows kind of came rushing in. So in this decade alone, you got shows like Beavis and Butthead, Daria, South Park, Ren and Stempy, King of the Hill, Futurama, and Family Guy, who all were kind of in the same vein as The Simpsons to a certain degree. A lot of them took inspiration, whether kind of directly with having like a family model or indirectly with having more like irreverent animation and like these very like, you know, off the cuff kind of weird jokes there's just a it was a lot of shows that were able to have a space in television due to the massive success of the simpsons and then they created their own little space um 
it's interesting because King of the Hill was created by Mike Judge, who it was a writer on The Simpsons for a very long time. And then he left and created his own show, which is a, a favorite of a lot of people's. And then, of course, Family Guy, which probably gets some of the closest comparisons to The Simpsons, even though there are they're pretty like staunchly different shows, I would say. Daria, which was on MTV at the time, you know, what has like a woman kind of leading the show. And then, of course, like you have Ren and Stimpy, which was on Nickelodeon, which was technically a kid's show. But if you've seen that show, I don't know what kids were enjoying it. I'm not going to lie to you. It definitely felt like a kid's show, technically, but it was a show that was enjoyed by stoned out college students in their dorm rooms. That's the vibe that I got personally from, from Ren and Stimpy. So there was this kind of like new movement that was created in the 90s with adult animation. And I think it just kind of showed, I don't think it renewed any adults interest in animation. It just kind of showed that the decade was a lot more open to using different mediums to entertain adults and animation being one of those mediums. And I think, I don't know, it just had this kind of like weird domino effect I would say even from the 90s well into the 2000s because of course if you are a fan of adult animation and you were around in the early 2000s one of I'm about to say next is not at all shocking from that big kind of adult animation boom that we got in the 90s by the early 2000s we got Adult Swim and Adult Swim is um Cartoon Network's like kind of adult it's their alternative programming block which basically just means it's their like adult tv shows block i remember kind of having the fear of god placed into me as a kid to never ever watch adult swim because it would come on around maybe like nine or ten on cartoon network and that was my cue like oh we gotta we gotta turn the channel or we gotta go to sleep like i cannot watch adult swim and i think i remember i got caught watching Aqua Teen Hunger Force and I just liked it because they were like a meatball soda and fries. I didn't really know what it was about but I got caught watching it when I was a little bit younger and I got in trouble and it was just like I think that fear was placed in me. Even to this day and I am fully 23 years old I could watch Adult Swim but I still feel like scandalous every time I do. I'm like oh I shouldn't be watching Adult Swim. This is not this is not right. I'm going to get in trouble. And I'm like, you're an adult. You pay bills. Okay. So I don't, I don't think you're going to get in trouble for watching that, Bobby, you know, let it go. But if you, if you don't know, Adult Swim was, it kind of like started out of Cartoon Network's previous attempts at kind of catering to a, a bit of an older demographic with like teenagers and young adults. And they didn't, Adult Swim wasn't their first try at it because if you, you know, you notice from the shows that I mentioned in the kind of 90s boom of adult animation, one show that I didn't mention, which was pretty successful for the time, was Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And that was an adult animated show that brought on celebrities and it was kind of it's a hard show to describe, I think, but it's really fun. It's like a, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of what, it's like primordial Eric Andre show, like between two ferns. Like it's kind of got that feel of bringing on celebrities and putting them in somewhat uncomfortable talk show scenarios. That's kind of the vibe, but that show was kind of the first indication that like, oh, this might be 
this might be something like we could we could try this out so they gave it a try and i think in the the launch of adult swim they launched like six shows maybe like five or six shows that were what were called like stealth premieres so they no they didn't tell anyone that these shows were premiering they kind of just started this block and put these shows out and then they became massive hits like people really enjoyed them and so then you got adult swim as this kind of must-see tv for these bits of alternative programming and even still in an adult swim they had a lot of uh like experimental shorts animation like it wasn't just tv shows but they were doing a lot of experimental pieces of media for this programming block because they knew that adults would maybe appreciate it a little bit more than like kids might and so obviously with the growth of adult swim then you got toonami which introduced a whole generation of people to anime for the first time which was super cool and still like i think if you ask a lot of people around my age like how did you get into anime a lot of them probably would say toonami which was like a block within adult and like it, it was a block a programming block within adult swim that was catered to showing anime shows a lot of a lot of fun i think it's a it was like a backdoor way to introduce a lot of people to this completely like massive industry that's outside of the u.s that they might not be able to see otherwise and so now that kind of brings us to where we are currently. Um, you could throw a rock and find an adult animated show quite literally anywhere. There are dozens of studios who are doing adult animated TV shows. Fox is still one of the biggest ones with, you know, Bob's Burgers is still on. The Simpsons is still on. Family Guy, American Dad. The Great North is one of the newer shows and it's from the same person who created Bob's Burgers and it's still like a similar animation style. Netflix has a lot of really good adult animated shows. One of my favorites is F is for Family. And I just like it because Bill Burr is hilarious and he just does a lot of screaming on that show. But adult animation definitely has has come from being like little jokes peppered into kids animated series and now are their own you know genre within animation and it's just super cool and I think it's it shows that adults have always been interested in animation like while animation largely is a medium that is catered to kids I think adults get a lot of satisfaction out of it too and when you create programming for them that is animated it's still like tends to, to perform really well and people still tend to like it. I, I think Hollywood has this myth that for whatever reason, animation is this weird barrier for adults, but it's quite literally never really been the case because a lot of these shows have been massively successful, but you know, Hollywood will believe whatever it wants to believe. But you know, and I know that adult animation is cool and one could say necessary. And also it's just a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you've made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the Afternoon Special on TikTok or on Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. You can keep up with this podcast specifically over on Instagram at the Hi I'm Bobby podcast, and that is all one word. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go watch the Bob's Burgers movie right now. I'm literally on my way. I'm not going to remember all of that. Honestly, run. 
run, don't walk to go see that movie. And when you come back, don't worry, I put all of that information in the description of this week's episode just for you. That's how much you mean to me. I've done that for you. You're welcome. As you can probably tell, I do spend quite a bit of time researching for these episodes, and that means that I listen to a lot of music or just things, noise, while while doing it. So I thought I'd share what this week's episode is powered by. And this week's episode is powered by the monorail song, and we put the spring in Springfield from The Simpsons played absolutely on repeat. The Simpsons just make some really, really good songs. The monorail song, fun fact, was written by Conan O'Brien, who was a writer on The Simpsons for a couple years. And it's just a really good song. I don't know what to say. Like, I just listened on it, to it on repeat. And that's how this episode was born. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you a Marvel fan? Matt, you know I am. Jeff, I was asking the listener. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it seemed like a weird question because, you know, we've been doing a Marvel podcast together for nine years now. No, no, I was trying to grab the attention of all the Marvel fans out there for this ad. Oh. I thought it was weird, too. You should definitely warn us. Good note, Ashley. Well, if you like Marvel movies and TV as much as we do, join us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. He did it again.